Our reading this morning is taken from Romans, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, the title of today's talk is a strange one, or at least I thought it was when I was given it. It's uh, the spirit as engineer. And why is it strange? Well, we don't often think, do we, of the Holy Spirit being an engineer. And it's not a word that actually appears in the Bible. So whoever gave the talk this, uh, this, this title was being very inventive. Um, and when I started to think about it, I didn't have too many thoughts. Uh, I assume that Debbie gave me this one because I'm an engineer. Therefore, I think as an engineer. And, uh, and presumably I know how the spirit works as an engineer. But as I thought about it, uh, I thought, what a great title it, it really is. And I hope you'll uh, think that as well as we go through the talk. How do you picture the Holy Spirit? God is quite easy, isn't he? Because we all know that he he sits on a a fluffy white cloud and he has a white beard. Jesus is is, is easy as well because we know he came to to, to earth as a human being. We know he looks like us and he speaks with an English accent. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit is a bit more difficult. But if we think of our title, Holy Spirit as Engineer then we can start to, to picture him as well. He's clearly a guy who wears overalls, has a spanner in one hand and an oil can in the other. I looked up engineer in a number of dictionaries and I disagreed with uh, every one of them. <laughs> um, they were all consistent 
every one of them in one thing. An engineer is someone who drives a train. <laughs> so much for going to university and getting a degree. So, I'm going to stick with my own definition of an engineer based on my experience, which would go something like this. A person who applies science and technology to design and build things or structures that work efficiently and are cost-effective. In other words, an engineer makes things happen. And it seems to me that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There's lots of obvious examples of what engineers do in the, in the real world. Um, you know what they are as well as I do. For example, taking architect's plans and translating them into tall buildings, buildings that won't fall down. Developing aircraft engines for bigger and more efficient operation. Building long-span bridges and tunnels and dams. Designing things, big and small. In my case, I've spent my life designing new oil refineries or improving existing operations to meet changing needs or make more profit. So the job of an engineer is to translate the objectives or the instructions of clients into something that works. As Christians, our client is God and his project manager facilitating the work in progress is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows us how we should implement God's guidelines, his advice, his instructions that God has provided in his word and the Holy Spirit prompts us to use them in our lives. He's the facilitator, implementing God's plan and making it work. And that sounds to me pretty much like the role of an engineer. So, Paul's letter to the Romans, we've just heard uh, the first eight verses of chapter 12. It gives us some of the, the guidelines, the instructions uh, that we need in our lives. In fact, the first 11 chapters of Romans is all about how we should run our lives. And uh, Paul tells us how God, through his grace, mercy and love for us, imperfect, undeserving sinners has chosen us to come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And he makes it clear that our life in this world is not about what we can achieve or take from it, but it's about glorifying God through our lives and through our work. So after those first 11 chapters of instructions, how we should operate, how we should live our lives, chapter 12 starts with the word, therefore. Which tells us that we're about to be asked what we're going to do about it. How we're going to implement those 11 chapters of instructions. If you want to follow it, the passage we had is on page 1139 in our Pew Bibles. And verse 1 of, those, of that reading calls us to be 
living sacrifices to God. And that's a familiar phrase, isn't it? We've come across it uh, many times before, living sacrifices to God. What does it mean? What are we actually sacrificing? Well, I think that we're sacrificing our natural desire to sin. We're giving up our old ways. We're being transformed, and we'd all agree that that can be difficult. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us to get back onto the right track when we slip off it. And that's the role of the engineer or the project manager, translating, guiding, implementing, and getting tough with us when we need it. Verse 2 tells us that the role of the Holy Spirit is to transform us so that we become more like Jesus. We're commanded to use our bodies to bring glory to God, such as serving the church, working and being productive, spreading the gospel of Jesus. And more generally, we should devote ourselves in every way to serving and giving back to God, to repay him for his mercy to us. The end of verse 1 tells us this is your spiritual act of worship. If we surrender ourselves to God and devote ourselves to him by becoming more like Christ, he regards that as our worship. And that pleases him. And if we live by our sinful nature, we have our minds set on what that spirit desires. If we live in accordance with the spirit, we have our minds set on what the spirit desires. Verse 2 tells us, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that we can accept what it is that God wants for us. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So he's telling us not to get above ourselves. It's easily done, isn't it? We often think that we're better than the person next to us. Do you remember when Muhammad Ali was in his prime? He often claimed to be the greatest. Humility wasn't his strong point. One day he was on a plane, which was ready to take off, and the flight attendant repeatedly asked him to buckle up his seatbelt. And finally he told her, I'm Superman, and Superman don't need any seatbelt. And the flight attendant quickly responded with, Superman don't need no airplane either. <laughs> now buckle up. He thought he was better than other people. He lacked humility. In Philippians, we see Christian humility described. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because the truly humble aren't known by what they say, but rather by what they do. You demonstrate it through your actions. There was once a, an infamous archbishop called Beaton. Uh, he was a very pompous man, and he always demanded recognition. And he was once visiting a cathedral in, in Scotland, and both he and the dean were in procession, side by side, and were approaching a narrow door. And as they drew closer to the door, they both started to walk a little bit faster, each wanting to go through the door first. But of course the inevitable happened and they got stuck in the doorway and they had to be helped out and the congregation erupted in laughter. So much for humility. Paul goes on to remind us that we're one body and we don't all have the same skills or function. So we have to work together to get everything done. And if we, work to, if we are to work together effectively, then we have to exercise humility. We have to recognize the role and the gifts of others, as well as using our own gifts. As is said in our reading, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We have to use our different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. Now, when I look through that list of gifts, I see few that I possess. And any that I do, I only have in very small measure. There are others here who possess, who, who possess them in greater measure. But what I've learned is that whatever gifts God has granted me, in whatever measure, he wants me to use them. Not sit back and let others get on with it. I'm not the best preacher here. But God doesn't ex- expect me to sit back and let others bear the load. Unfortunately for you. There was once a pastor who had uh, a little five-year-old daughter. And the little girl noticed that every time her dad went into the pulpit, he'd bow his head for a moment. And that puzzled her. So one day after the service, the little girl asked her dad, why do you bow your head just before you preach your sermon? Well, honey, the preacher answered, I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. And the little girl looked up at her father and asked, then how come he doesn't do it? (laughs) It's so easy to say that there there are others better than me. 
or I don't have any gifts that I can use, or I don't have the courage to do whatever it is. It's the easiest thing in the world, isn't it, to to say we can't do, or what we don't like. It's far easier to tear down than to build up. We don't realise when we're tearing something down or criticising that we're actually tearing down a person. And whatever your gifts are, they're your gifts. No one else here has the same combination or the same measure of gifts as you do. Your gifts are God-given. The role of the Holy Spirit is to encourage us, to give us the courage that we lack, to enhance our gifts and supply what we lack so that we can be effective. He wants us to use our gifts for God's glory, whatever age we are. It's humility that stops us saying, my gift is better than your gift, and thinking that I am great and you are useless. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives as an engineer, to encourage us to use the gifts that God has given us, and to utilize the guidelines that God has given us in his word. True Christian community works when we all value a person for using their gifts and recognize that everyone is loved by God. Your act of service to others actually shows how you value them and how you value yourself. We are all neither too good to offer our talents to others, nor are we too good to receive the talents others offer. Our challenge as a church, as a community, is to demonstrate that sort of community. The ability to work together and to demonstrate that to the outside world. When the world then asks how so many different people could work together in so many different ways to achieve so much, we'll be able to say that, yes, while we are different, we are united in Christ as one body. Let us close with a prayer. Loving Lord, we pray that we might all open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allow him to transform us to become more like you. The challenge that you've set before us can be quite hard. And it's only through your Holy Spirit that we can work together as one body using the gifts that you've given to each of us. We need help, Lord, to identify and accept the gifts that we have and we need courage to use them in the measure that we possess them. But use them we must because they've been given to us by you and to turn our back on them would be to turn our backs on you. Lord, please let your engineering spirit work in me to be a humble member of your team. Amen.